1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 1. Paul, Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love and your endurance, inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Our Father in heaven, we come to your word with expectation because we know this is living and your true word. And it is powerful. It's powerful to save and it's powerful to change. May this be true this morning here in your church. Amen. Well, I've entitled today's message, A Healthy Church. And you might think, oh, well, that's a bit convenient. Seeing as Vision Sunday, we're just slide, slipping in that word, but... Not only for this morning, but it actually could be the theme for this book of 1 Thessalonians. We haven't come up with a theme for this series. Um, I'm only mentioning that off the cuff this morning. A healthy church. Not a perfect church. A healthy church. We just read in verse 7 that they were a model to all the believers. What a wonderful endorsement by the Apostle Paul to the church in Thessalonica. And we are working over the next six weeks through this first letter to the Thessalonians. To get a bit of context to, to who are these people and where are we at. How did it start? We can turn to the book of Acts. You see, in the book of Acts, we get what Luke records are a very, a lot of details in the missionary journeys. And as Paul and others travel to cities and establish the foundational churches of the Christian faith, we read about these letters that Paul writes to these churches, different issues at different churches that require different sort of teaching. But in the book of Acts, we get a 
We, we, we get a, a more detailed, almost like a, a minuted uh, a, a report of where they're at and what's going on. And the existence of the church at Thessalonica can be really related to the obedience to the call on, on Paul's life and those travelling with him in Acts 16. In Acts 16 and verse 9, God intervenes in where Paul and Timothy were travelling and Silas. You you will notice here they they got to this place in their journey, Troas, and their intention was to travel south and southeast. But in Acts 16, there was a vision, a call on on them to bring the gospel to Macedonia, across this area here, into Philippi. And in in that place, in Acts 16, they learned where they were going and they learned why they were going. They weren't wandering off with no real purpose They knew exactly where they were going and why they were going there. To preach the gospel, to establish faithful, obedient churches. While we have not had such visions like Paul did in Acts 16 here at Monty as the eldership of this church, I can tell you at the heart of our vision for Monty is a conviction by God in our hearts to pursue our calling to make disciples. As much as we believe teams are going to help us be effective in ministry in church life, as much as we believe here that giving is an important part of a, of a believer's spiritual journey and life. The heartbeat of our vision, the heartbeat of our existence is to make Jesus known. The reason that we bring the word, the reason that we meet together is that we may all grow in our dependence, our trust in Jesus. That as we go into our communities and our weeks, we go as the light. And that light is Jesus Christ. That his character would be seen in our workplace, in our school, in our unis, in our homes. Because we'd love to see, as I said earlier, people come to faith in those places. We'd love to celebrate together here of a brother who came to know the Lord, a niece who decided to trust in Jesus because her auntie shared the gospel with her, a work colleague, a school friend. We aren't desiring a comfortable experience. In fact, things might get uncomfortable. 
Not just talking about the aircon not working on a 30 degree day. That is uncomfortable. But as we seek to make Jesus known, to make disciples and spread the news that Jesus Christ has died for the sins of the world, for the sins of the people in Monty, and there is a way to be made right with God, I tell you right now, that does not make the devil happy. And there will be opposition. With Paul, as we mentioned, with Silas and Timothy and, and Luke recording, and they were called to Macedonia and they headed over to the most strategic city in that area up north, Philippi. Um, as well as providing some context this morning to the, the book of Thessalonians, it's a wonderful, rich history to look at this journey of the second missionary journey of Paul. As a result from their ministry in Philippi, they end up in jail. Jail. And I can imagine maybe the conversation that we think they might have had. You know, Paul, are you sure you saw what you saw back in Troas? I mean, we were heading down south. You've had this vision that we're meant to head this way and I were travelled in the boat and got to Philippi. We're in jail. Are you sure this is right? I mean, was it Macedonia or was it the Maldives we were called to? Wouldn't you be loved to be called to the Maldives? $5,000 a night villas in the middle of the ocean. That wasn't the conversation. If you know the story, what they actually did was in their chains in jail, in the middle of the night they were praying. And they were, weren't just praying, they were praising God. And that incredible story in Philippi on this journey was that the, there was an earthquake and, and the gates flung open, their chains were gone. And off they had this opportunity to, to just get out of jail and move on. But what did they see? They saw a, a jailer who was ready to kill himself because he knew the consequences. So they go to the jailer. The jailer takes them home. The jailer takes them home. What a story. Tell them the gospel. Jailer believes. The whole household believes. They're baptised. That is powerful, is it not? The, The gospel message in Philippi to that jailer and his family is the same gospel message we take this year into our community and it has not lost any of its power. Oh, but I'm not an Apostle Paul. Big deal. The power was never in Apostle Paul. The power is in the gospel. The Apostle Paul was obedient, faithful, From Philippi, they then went on to Thessalonica. And in chapter 17 of, of Acts, you'll, you'll see as, they, as, as the custom, Paul goes to the local synagogue to meet with the Jews, to reason with the Jews. 
Only a small amount of Jews believed in Thessalonica. It was mostly God-fearing Greeks and women who were hanging around near the synagogue in that, in that city. Uh, God-fearing Greeks refers to the, the people in that community who were so fed up and, and sick of the, um, the, the immorality of society that was searching for something greater than what was on offer. And they knew they couldn't become Jews and be in the synagogue, but they were interested in the God of Israel, the God of the Jews, and they were hanging around. Ready to hear the good news of Jesus. They were hanging around and Paul gave it to them. And many, many of them believed. And so is the beginning of this church in Thessalonica. And the local thugs chased them out of town. After being severely beaten in Philippi and put in prison and chased out of Thessalonica, they went on to, you might see, uh, uh, Berea over here from Thessalonica down to Berea. And in Berea, we read in Acts that they were people of, of noble character who study the scriptures daily to ensure what Paul is teaching is true. But the thugs from Thessalonica followed them down to Berea and chased them out of Berea. And Paul goes on to Athens and then from Athens to Corinth. And if you look in the very first letter of Corinthians, you may know the words well. Paul says to the people in Corinth, I came to you in weakness, in fear and with much trembling. And you sort of get to understand why when you consider what he's just been through. I came to you in weakness, fear and much trembling. Yet he says, we don't come to you with eloquence of speech, but we come with the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what will save you. That is what will change you. So you don't rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. You know, we can doubt ourselves so quickly when we are doing God's work. We can doubt ourselves so quickly. How often have you ever thought, I'm not up to it, I'm not good enough to be able to be involved there or to do that? I think it's important to be honest while you're up here. And, And so I will say many times in the last three years, I have thought many times I am not good enough to be in this role. I am not up to it. And the enemy loves us to doubt because when we doubt, we lose our effectiveness. And 
Am I good enough to talk about who Jesus is with my family because I've been thinking about this thing all week and I know it's wrong. I've been talking like this at school or at uni or with my work. I've been speaking this way and that's... I've been visiting that place and I know it's right. I, I know what I've been doing and I'm not up to it right now. I'm not good enough. God is enough. God is not seeking the powerful. God is not seeking the righteous to carry out his purposes and plans, his visions, his, his goals for his church. He's not seeking the powerful and the righteous. He is all powerful. He is holy and a righteous God. And what he asked of Paul and what he asked of us is to be available. What he asks of us is to be faithful, to be prayerful and obedient. He doesn't need you to be powerful to have an impact with the gospel. The gospel is powerful. It is powerful to save. It is powerful to change lives. And God is enough. Our God is strong enough. Our God is powerful enough. He is forgiving enough. Are you available? Is more the question. Are you available? Do you trust him today? Paul was so beaten up and run out of cities. He faced the idols of Athens and the immorality of Corinth. And it would seem he had every right to feel down and despondent. It just doesn't seem to be going well. And I think the Holy Spirit gives Paul a wonderful encouragement. And it's in the middle of this letter that Paul writes in chapter 3 and verse 6 and 7. But Timothy has just now, this is the letter to the church at Thessalonica. Timothy has just now come to us in Corinth from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. On hearing this encouraging report from Timothy, who came from the people at Thessalonica to Corinth, where Paul was, after all Paul had been through, maybe feeling a bit down and despondent, comes this wonderful encouraging news, those new Christians are doing so well. Oh, they haven't succumbed to persecution and suffering. They're standing up. And I can imagine the little spring in the step when we're encouraged by God, that little spring in the step we get that we sometimes need, isn't it? And Paul says, right, I'm going to write them a letter. Oh, this is exciting. I'm going to write them a letter. This people who I got to spend a month with and write them a letter to encourage them. Most importantly, I want to encourage them 
in their faith. Sure, I'll answer some of their questions. I'll set them straight on the second coming of Christ and I'll make sure that they're always thankful for things. Uh, there's some, there's a necessity to, to tell people to cut out all sexual immorality. I want them to continue to always pray. But most importantly, I want to write to them to encourage them. We all need to be encouraged. We don't receive many letters anymore, do we? Um, when I was younger, much younger, stamps were 37 cents. You had to use the copper coin uh, back in the day, the one and two cent pieces. Then I remember them being 45 cents. Now they're a dollar 20, I see, a dollar 20 for a stamp to send a letter. No wonder we're not sending letters. But have you ever written a letter or an email or sent a text just with the purpose just to encourage someone? I tell you, it does wonders. It does amazing things just to encourage. I received such a letter 25 years ago. Um... And I don't want to embarrass you, PC, but PC sent me a letter 25 years ago. And you might not even remember PC. I was a very young person then. But I was experiencing something difficult in my life. And he knew about it. And he wrote me a letter just to encourage. Nothing else. To say that he was praying for me. And he was saying, we're here to support you. We're here to hear you. And we'll pray with you. And 25 years later, that is still impressed on my heart. How often do we just touch base with someone just to encourage them? And so we find ourselves with this encouraging letter from Paul at the very first word of the very first chapter of chapter of, of, of one. And my time's nearly gone. As is a tradition, it is from Paul and Silas and Timothy to the church of Thessalonians. Ecclesia is the the word for the Greek word for church, its original context was to speak about a gathering of citizens. The thing that they had in common was that they were citizens and there was a gathering of citizens to come and vote, to come and uh, a census or whatever it might be. And so this word was used to speak about the citizens of God's kingdom. We gather as his people as God's church. And then there is a common greeting, grace and peace. Paul uses this common Greek word, charis. It means it's a common greeting for someone to say grace. We say g'day, mate. <clears throat> they would say grace, grace to you. And then there is that common Jewish greeting, Peace that was used regularly, shalom. 
grace and peace to you. We thank God for you. We pray for you. And this wonderful statement, remembering your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope. Paul always speaks of salvation by faith alone, never by works. It is a gift of God, but he also speaks to the fact that the evidence of that salvation is seen in your life. It is seen in the way that you think and the way that you live. In Romans 1, Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel because in the gospel there is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes by faith. But the power doesn't end in that once-off saving of a person's soul for eternity. He goes on to say, you are not only saved by faith, but we are called to live by faith. In dependence on the Holy Spirit to change the way we think and the way that we live. Never going to be perfect. Oh, but the day is coming when we will be transformed into new bodies. Perfect, heavenly bodies. And as I said last week, we are to let the light of Jesus shine in our life, that his character, that his nature would be evident in the way that we relate with one another that change in our mind and in our life is powerful. And you can't just turn it on because you are smart, because you are tall, because you are rich. No, when you make yourself available and surrender yourself to Jesus, oh, Jesus, today, change me, change the way I think, change the way I live, I'm available to you. Oh, if that would be our prayer of every moment of every day. Remembering your work produced by faith. Labour prompted of love. It's a phrase that we use. um, I don't use it too often, but you know that phrase, you know, labour of love. You might get your mum and dad a, a cup of tea Mackenzie, the last couple of nights, I've had some late nights up on the computer. Oh, she's been offering me tea at 10 o'clock at night. Oh, loved it. You know, we call those things a labour of love. It's a labour of love to, to mow that extra bit of nature strip that's next to your neighbour's house. Oh, we call it a labour of love. This is not what we're actually talking about. This is not Paul's intention when he speaks to the church at Thessalonians the people of Thessalonians, when he says, your labour prompted by love. The word kopos for labour speaks to an intense work, intense work united with trouble. And it paints a picture I was reading of sweat and fatigue.
And what Paul is saying here is we recognise that you are working incredibly hard in difficult situations and circumstances. We recognise and acknowledge you are doing so much for the gospel, for the kingdom. The great hymn says, Love so amazing, so divine, demands something. And for Jesus, it demanded Jesus to go to the cross and to give his life for the sins of you and me. And one cannot simply be confronted with the love of Jesus and remain the same. It demands a decision. And that decision might be a shrug of the shoulders and think, well, it doesn't really matter. I don't really believe it. I'm moving on with my life. That decision, I'm afraid to say, leads to eternal, horrible circumstance uh, consequences. Separation from God. Paul is saying, when I think of your love, I think of your passion. When I think of your love, I think of your conviction. Your hard work prompted out of love. And as we comprehend this love of God, are we Are we moved like the church at Thessalonica? Are we moved with passion and and conviction to serve God and to serve his people out of love? The vision that we shared is not easy work. It's going to be hard work. What a wonderful example this church was. And lastly, and I'll finish with this, endurance inspired by hope. A consistent act in the face of great difficulty. Not a a very quiet, passive action. That's not how you would represent this church but a consistent act in the face of extreme difficulty. In light of the problems, the confusions of society, the the immorality in society, same issues we have today in Melbourne, Australia. They weren't tucked away in some corner just gathering thinking, oh, this world is way too far gone. Oh, let's just have a few of us come over here and we'll just meet quietly over in the corner and we'll talk about the things of God and and let's ignore the rest of the world. No, that is not how you would describe this church. They were active, they were involved and they were pushing through, they were persevering, they were enduring... Because of the hope they have in God. 
Do you have that hope this morning? That he loves you, that he has saved you, that he forgives you and that he empowers you. Our Father, we, we come to you, Lord, asking that this word, this message would change our life. We ask that you would do that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that it would be on our minds this week to share Jesus with people, to love and forgive people just as you love and forgive us. May the light of Jesus shine through our life that people would praise God. We entrust ourselves to you for your purposes and your plans and your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your attention on a hot day and um, maybe there's an iced coffee at morning tea. I'm not sure if that's on the menu, uh, but uh, please hang around and uh, greet one another. God bless you. Thank you.